Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio on a Tuesday today, our midweek podcast. And we have the pleasure of having Chris Habig from Freedom HealthWorks back on our show. We kind of have him on a three-part series. Today, we're going to be discussing the importance of the doctor-patient relationship. It's something that's frequently forgot about. Um, over the last 10, 15 years, it seems like there's really not a good doctor-patient relationship, partly because doctors don't stay in the same place very long. Um, I had a good friend say one time when his doctor had moved for the you know fifth time in in six years um, that they're like gypsies. And that used to not be the case. It used to be that... You know, 30, 40 years ago, people would have the same doctor for 20, 30 years, and Chris can speak on that. Um, and that's still very important to have that important relationship, not just a five-minute conversation, but somebody that knows you as an individual and knows your family. Very, very important. So uh, without further ado, Chris, welcome back to our show. Thank you, Sean. Pleasure to be back again. I, I'm 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 amazed that you asked me to come back on after that first episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was wonderful as always. We could just keep talking and talking and talking. Um, you made a joke before the show uh, when we were just talking. It's like you should have hit record uh, 20 minutes ago because we had some good conversation as we always do, Chris. So it is definitely my pleasure. Thank you for coming back on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, tell us a little bit about. I think sometimes maybe. It should be kind of obvious how imp how important the doctor-patient relationship is, but unfortunately, over the last 20 years or so, I think people have forgotten about it because they haven't seen that really in traditional healthcare. So um, tell us a little bit about this. It's going back to defining what the pinnacle of medical care really is. Um, and I say medical care, obviously, because I think healthcare in general has been perverted as a, as a term and a definition and people attach insurance to healthcare. Um, so I'm talking about medical care. You ask somebody, hey, what is what is the real high quality? What is the best medical care that you could possibly strive for? And you can get a bunch of different answers. To me, the best medical care is when you have you know, a physician has the ability to look at you and know that something is a little bit off. You know, we can sense this in, in our daily relationships. We look at our spouse, our friends, and we say, hey, look, you look a little down. What's wrong? What's on your mind? Right. To have a physician who's able to do that, I mean, that that's potentially life-saving. You know, that's that's the seriously life or death type of type of uh, relationship and type of situation you can find yourself in. Um, I believe I related, you know, this this personal story about uh, when my grandmother was ill because she took the wrong took too many blood thinners, you know, in her in her late 80s, early 90s, and uh, her her internist, which was my mom, was was able to look at her and say, "Hey, you you don't look great. You look really pale. Why don't you come in?" Found out that internal hemorrhaging. I mean, that kind of stuff is those are serious real life stories. Um, right. We talk about population of health. I get population health as a society. In those are some, you know, that macro environment has a lot of uses, but when it comes down to individual people, there's a good chance that you get lost in the shuffle. You know, it's um, you don't want to be that person that is, has the one or two percent chance of having early onset 
colon cancer or, you know, if you're a guy in your 20s, you don't want that small minutia chance of having testicular cancer that goes un undetected. Those are real life. Those are, those are real lives. They're real impacts. You know, maybe you're a car company, you can get away with 1% defects. But when it comes to human beings and lives, it's unacceptable in my book. And so it's a shift in mindset from focusing on a macro, focusing on the trends and getting down into the micro environments and a physician able to understand your habits, your history. Maybe this doctor even took care of your parents. Um, maybe this doctor delivered you and you're seeing them as an adult and they're going to see your your kids now. Yeah. But to understand that, okay, maybe breast cancer runs, runs in your family. We're going to keep an eye out for that. That is the pinnacle of medical care in my in my opinion yeah i you know i interviewed a direct primary care doctor um also known as dpc um and of course uh chris you've talked a lot about that on your podcast um freedom health works and um one of the stories he shares is he you know family doctor and he had you know th this um, mom came in and she had three or four or five kids and brought them all in and one of the kids was sick and um you know just runny nose whatever you know common cold type stuff she just brought him in and he's and he, he looked at one of the other kids and he says um you know what I don't want to see this one, even though he's sick. I want to see your other kid because he didn't look right. And I can't remember the disease that he diagnosed him with, but it was some rare, you know, disease that if not caught early, you know, could be deadly. And I, I like I said, wow. I don't even remember the name, but there's no way in a traditional healthcare setting where, you know, a doctor doesn't know their patients and doesn't know the family. There's no way that would happen. And he was able, and because he wasn't limited by insurance and all those kind of things, he could say, Hey, I want to see that kid now um, because of the nature of a DPC practice. And I mm -hmm. mean, if you, if you want to speak on that, I would sure, I would sure love that. And so would our listeners and viewers. Yeah, it goes to I mean, how many offices out there are saying, hey, only one patient at a time. You know, I mean, I understand we're in the midst of a prolonged pandemic and, and think about what you will. And unfortunately, politics has been injected into every aspect of our lives. But, you know, being able to take your kids and round them up and take them into a physician and have that, um, it's huge. I mean, we're seeing coming from a, a dad of, of now two young kids, um, RSV is making a huge, a huge comeback in daycares. And so for our direct care doctor to say, hey, I understand that uh, your daughter is in daycare, keep an eye out for these traits, for these symptoms, uh, for disease, and then be able to treat everybody right there. Um, I mean, that's powerful. It, it just illustrates the point that sight is by far and away the most important sense to a human being. And I don't think a lot of people are going to debate that it might not be our favorite, yeah. you know, or most yeah. useful as I'm sitting here in my glasses, but <laughs> you know, being able to have that and have that just, I, I don't know, awareness um, in connection with somebody. I mean, that's usually powerful because what usually get lost, lost in that is saying, yeah, we treated this kid, but imagine the impact on that parent. And I, I can speak from experience on that, that half the battle is peace of mind. Is this rash something I need to worry right. about? How do I do this? Is this cough going to go away on its own? How long does a, a first you know, cold last? What do I need to look for, for, like I mentioned, RSV? And, and I've had um, a lot of you know, personal family friends who've been impacted by RSV and 
some kids who've, who just weren't exposed to others, you know, from a society standpoint and from a social standpoint, but there's really stuff going on that we get lost in the headlines and, um, being able to text your doctor, being able to bring the whole, uh, the whole family in, I mean, it, it's powerful in itself, not to mention a huge cost saving, but think of the peace of mind and the stress that was avoided, um, that would have happened at a later stage. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we talk about like those days are gone. And I think with traditional medical care, like we talked about um, insurance-based practices, um, those days are gone. It's one patient at a time. And um, also, I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but many times those doctors are also told, oh, no, you can only come in for one or two problems. That's it. You know, mm -hmm. if you if you have a second problem or a third problem, um, you need to make another appointment. Um, you know, and how ridiculous is that? I mean, th that is, in my opinion, not good medical care. Oh, for uh, sure. For yeah. sure. And and like you said, it, it uh, vast majority of physicians do not want to practice that way. Um, it's kind of the fallacy of this, this free preventive visit that a lot of people talk about when they say, hey, I got great insurance. Sean, I got great insurance. Yeah. What does that mean? Who's right. doctor? Who's going to call when you're sick? And right. I said, well... Mm, I, I don't really a good question. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I'll get seen um, in three weeks, right? As as the saying goes, uh um, it's definitely not original from me. I think it's Dr. Marion Moss that said, you know, coverage does not equal care. Mm -hmm. So just because you have some kind of insurance coverage doesn't mean you're gonna get good care. Um and just the opposite is true. Um just because you don't have insurance doesn't mean you can't have a good relationship with a doctor and and not get good care. I'm I know many of people in that situation because healthcare can um, be affordable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it, it brings up this topic that that I don't think we spend enough time really talking about. Um, a lot of people want to say, you know, how can I how can I change healthcare? Or what what can I do for my end? I'm just a I'm just a person. I'm just an accountant. Whatever it is, and I always tell them, well, go ask the price. Because if a doctor can't tell you the price, then chances are somebody else is going to have to come into that decision. And if a doctor can't tell you the price of their services, there's probably going to be somebody else involved in your care decisions too. And that can be a very big problem for a lot of people. And I see that as a problem. I don't want that you know, to, to happen. And that kind of gave way into, I think, the overarching question that is plaguing a lot of our healthcare industry is this concept of patient ownership. And um, we talked to one of my, I, I had a, a great interview with one of, one of my clients at, at Freedom HealthWorks. And, you know, he brought this up as his big kind of watershed moment that when he had an administrator at a hospital berate him for referring a patient to a different hospital that could actually treat this patient in a better way because their facility wasn't set up to do that. Wow. That administrator flat out told him, doctor, you don't make those care decisions. This is not your patient. This is ours. And that blew me away. You know, wow. This concept of owning a patient is something that I, I, I think needs to be illuminated. And, you know, it falls very much within that doctor-patient relationship. I see my doctor. I don't go see the hospital, right? The hospital is not involved right. in patient care. It's involved in the business of providing care, but is not involved in actual medical care. Well, and it gets back to, you know, the old thing that, you know, physicians need to be in charge of medical care, period. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
not too long ago, that was the case. Uh, that hospital administrator 30 years ago, that doctor would have told that hospital administrator what to do and when to do it. And a hospital administrator would have said, well, you're the doctor. Um, we can't survive without you. And it's not that way anymore. Now the administrators are telling doctors what to do. I mean, we're talking about people that aren't educated, you know, aren't formally educated in medicine that are telling doctors how to practice. You agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just a symptom uh, of, of the overall just... I don't want to be too negative, but the overall kind of kind of rot uh, and control that a lot of systems have, um, you know, it, it started about 10 years ago. And the whole thinking coming from, you know, what I call health insurance reform that the federal government branded health care reform in the ACA, um, they, they, they thought that if we consolidate resources and create these big bureaucratic hospital systems and healthcare systems, that's going to drive efficiencies in cost. Now, I, I'm a big fan of separating price and cost, especially as it relates to medical care, uh, medical services. But that's what the whole hypothesis of the ACA was built on. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there that could put, again, politics aside and say that was a huge miss. Um, Anybody who is familiar with large companies understand that innovation is very, very slow. There's a lot of layers. There's a lot of hoops you have to and, and gates that you have to jump through, and a lot of signatures you have to get to try something new. Innovation comes from small businesses. Draw a parallel to medical care. A single physician office is able to incorporate innovative treatment techniques and personalized care far better than any. 10,000 patient hospital systems able to do 20,000 hospital patient. And, and, and that was the big miss there. And so what we really drilled down to is that this, this concept of doctor patient relationship, you know, that really funds one fifth of the United States economy. It is a multi-trillion dollar relationship. Um, again, you got, you got people sniping saying that there's a lot of waste there. It doesn't have to be trillion, but one fifth of our economy is healthcare. And that is fundamentally built on the interaction between one patient and one doctor. You know, we've talked about it before on our podcast is that, you know, many times, um, the bigger the system, the more expensive, I mean, you kind of alluded to that, but the bigger this, the healthcare system, the more expensive it is, the less efficient, the the, the less quality and the worse service. And, um, you know, you could also argue that sometimes in healthcare, many times in healthcare, that price is inversely proportional with quality. Um, the lower the price in healthcare, probably the higher the quality. What does that, what does quality actually mean to that though? Um, quality to me, understanding and, and living within, you know, subscription-based healthcare for the past few years, that means something totally different. To me, quality is keeping me healthy, helping, well, yeah. educating me enough to, to, you know, have some personal responsibility in there. But being there if I get sick, being there if my family gets sick, that's, I think I'm kind of on the minority of that. Um, you know, most people would say, hey, what's quality healthcare? You know, especially people in medicine. Um, I've, I've talked to a bunch of CMOs here, um, you know, around Indianapolis and regionally. And I say, doc, what is, what does quality mean to you? And no joke. I've had a bunch of them look me in the eye, kind of, kind of chuckle, kind of laugh and say, it's whatever Medicare tells us it is. It's whatever United <laughs> tells us it is. Right. And I'm kind of blown away. Like, 
again, that's the last thing I want to hear from a patient standpoint. You know, say you're somebody who's in a hospital bed and the doctor comes in and says, hey, we're going to provide really high quality care to you. This is what we're going to do. And I say, great, but why are you doing this? You know, why, why do I have to have these tests or these images? And that doctor being honest to him would respond, well, that's how we get paid more because the insurance attaches more value to this. I think about that from a bedside standpoint. What would somebody right. actually do? What would, you, what, what would your reaction be if you're a patient? Um, another one, another famous, you know, not famous, I guess. It's one of my better used stories is um, I talked to this physician who, who ran a uh, teaching hospital primary care um, department. And so she was making rounds with the residents. And um, she had residents who were getting in trouble from the admin because they were taking too long with patients. And I'm just going to let that yeah. sink in. And again, think about that from a patient experience standpoint that, you know, imagine having that conversation in somebody's, uh, somebody's, somebody's, you know, bedside is, Hey doctor, I know that, you know, grandma over here is, is really sick and needs comfort, but you're taking too long with her. You need to go move on. I, it, it just blows my mind that people treat other people that way. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues to point out in how big healthcare is run. And, you know, one of the things I like to do is, is establish the problem, but move on to solutions, you know, let people know that, Hey, there is hope out there. You know, it, yeah, so it's, it's let's happening. talk about, yeah, let's talk about the solution. So what, from a patient standpoint, what's a solution? Every patient to go in there knowing the price knowing what needs to happen. And you have to ask questions. Um, one of the most dangerous things that anybody can ever have is happen to them is being alone in the current healthcare industry. Um, if you're alone, you see patient abandonment, you kind of see this lost, lost sheep syndrome, uh, I like to call it, that people just kind of blindly go about things and don't ask questions of, well, why are you prescribing this? Why do I need this, this, this procedure? How much does this cost? Um, we place an inordinate amount of trust in our physician without probably knowing who the hell that person is. Yeah. We might see somebody for five, seven minutes and they say, Hey, great to meet you. Um, I'm Dr. So-and-so looking at your chart. Here's what, here's what I think it needs to happen. So I'm going to send you down the hall and you're going to get all these scans and anything. And that's it. And we say, okay, great. That sounds nice. What, why would you do that <laughs> without saying, well, hold on, who are you? Right. What do you know about my medical history? What do you know about my family? You're not even going to ask me a question, but all this, this happens all too often. Um, again, I think, I think people are very quick to blame the quote unquote system and not confident enough, or they don't want to upset anybody by actually blaming the physicians. And I put a lot of blame at doctors, um, one for letting this happen to them because I can't imagine that in any other, you know, kind of profession. People just getting so beaten over the head and downtrodden that they kind of give that up and and don't want to ask about any financial decisions that are, that have to happen from a patient care standpoint. Um, and so, you know, from a patient standpoint, you have to be empowered. You have to do your research. You have to understand that there is no such good thing as insurance. That's like going out and saying, "Hey, I got I got the best homeowners insurance on the block." Well, you still need to fix your leaky toilet. You're not going to file your insurance claim for that, right? You still right, need to do your right. maintenance on it. Right. Um, it. It's just a it's just a mind shift, and 
you know, a lot of people like to bring up the matrix and we've heard it time and time again in some of the circles that we run in, but it really is a kind of psychological switch. It has to, you know, go on to realize that, oh my gosh, it's okay to go out and call a doctor at the first symptom. I'm not bugging them, you know, but with that same vein is you need to have the access to establish that relationship. And from that relationship, that doctor can now become your advocate. And that's really what we want to get to going back to how we open the show is that's the pinnacle of medical care. When a doctor is able to understand your needs and you're able to really ask them uh, that question. So that's my, that's uh, my plea to every single patient out there who's ever used, you know, ever been sick is step one, how you enact change is go out there and ask somebody what the price is. Ask your doctor what the price is. Ask the front office person what the price is. And, and, if, they, if, you, and if they don't know? If you don't know, make sure they get an, get, get an answer or get the hell out of there. Yeah. Uh, it, you, you have the ability to walk. Um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't buy a car without knowing the price. You wouldn't rent a hotel room without, buying the, without, knowing, the, without knowing the cost. So wh why should you get medical care, which is way more important than those two items? Right. And the only thing that keeps coming back to is, well, I waited three weeks for this appointment. I'm not going to walk out. And it's like, <laughs> okay, well, there goes all your, your leverage from a consumer standpoint, negotiation standpoint. But that's not the point. Um, the point is that if somebody can't tell you what the services actually cost, even if, you know, you walk in the exam room and they say, well, it depends on what you want to do. Um, you know, go back to the fallacy of the, of the free preventive visit. If you mention anything in there about, hey, uh, my elbow hurts, I'm having a little bit of chest pain, or I get short-winded going upstairs, that's no longer free. You're going to get right. a bill. And so, you know, it, it's, it's trying to break down the complexity of the billing systems and then, you know, the services and the cost and the price. Um, basic economics is alive and well in medicine. I want to say that. Absolutely. You know, Consumers uh, just need, need to be educated and empowered to, to shop for healthcare. Exactly. Exactly. You know, on a mo on most uh, industries, you've got a manufacturer, you've got a distributor, you've got a wholesaler, and then you have retail. Maybe you go through four chains to pick up a new desk or chair, new something like that. Um, with healthcare, it's, it's probably double that. But it does not mean that you are absolutely powerless. You have all the power. You just need to right. use it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, speaking of solutions, so you kind of blame doctors a little bit. And, you know, at first when I started getting into this um, discussion and started writing a book uh, about this subject, I, I, I was kind of, you know, being careful about blaming my colleagues or blaming doctors because um, I just always says, well, you know, I, I get it. They, they don't have any power over it. They're just stuck in a system. They don't really have any control over it. But then I had an interview with the great Dr. Keith Smith, probably, you know, from the Surgery Center, Surgery Center of Oklahoma, probably one of the biggest pioneers in free market medicine who opened a, you know, a, a freestanding surgery center back in 1997 when mm -hmm. people thought they were crazy to get out of Medicare and Medicaid and, and, and all the insurance hassles. And um, Dr. Keith Smith said this, and this is a quote in my book. Um, he said, when he was in the system, he basically felt like an accessory to the crime. Mm -hmm. 
and I got to say, Chris, I, I do believe that. And I'm not picking on my colleagues that or, you know, whether it be pharmacists or nurses or doctors. But if you are in the system, especially as a doctor, when you were telling when you were writing a prescription for an MRI or for XYZ drug or for XYZ surgery at XYZ hospital, you are an accessory to the crime. And the only way to fix that is doctors need to be in charge of the system and where patients go. Can you comment on that? Everybody has a choice. Everybody has a choice, whether you're a physician in a hospital, you are a resident coming out with loads of debt, everybody has a choice. Um, what you might not be aware of is what choice you have. And I think right. that is, is probably, you know, the biggest problem. Um, a lot of doctors come from teaching hospitals, obviously during residencies and those teaching hospitals want to keep that physician there. They're not going to go out and show, Hey, look, independent practice is alive and well. They're not going to tell you that. And they're going to tell you different models of care, different business models. They're not going to even give you a business education, but that's a choice. There are resources out there. Freedom HealthWorks being one, you know, shameless plug right there. But even if it's not a good fit, we'll let you know that, Hey, look, there's options out here. You have a choice. If you choose to go work in a hospital that does not have your patient's best interest in mind, okay, I respect your decision. But be able to accept the responsibility for that decision. And if your medical decisions are, in your mind, the best way to treat this patient, but you're also bankrupting that patient, then you're accountable for that. And you should understand that. Um, that's where I think there's a big disconnect between what we see in the actual medical professionals who are drawn to this because they actually want to help people. These are the smartest, most salt of the earth people, right? right. They're, they're, they're so intelligent um, that not everybody could do this and very few people could actually do this career. And they are so um, just, just, they have the ability to go out and put themselves um, in other people's shoes. The empathy is unreal. And they actually want to care for these people. Not, not everybody can do that either, you know, from, from just the human nature side of it. So you have two people, or you have a person that has these traits of incredible intelligence, incredible motivation, incredible drive, that also want to go out there and help their, their fellow human being. You telling me that they can't go out and research different types of business models and understand that, hey, you're going to be complicit in either a system that is a problem and not in the best, best interest of those people you're trying to care for. Um, it just, it just seems lazy to me. And that's something that I, I kind of scratch my head with is like, these are not lazy people at all, but yet they act like an ostrich with their head in the sand um, when it comes to anything financial. And do, do you think that comes from academia um, when, you yeah. know, they're being, yeah. And uh, do you, do you think it's a little bit fear, fear too, because it's not, they might be going out of the system that's traditional? I, I think, yes. I, I think it's, it's, it's not a quick, it's not an immediate thing that happens. I think it's, it's, it's more attrition than anything. Um, kind of like, you know, World War I trench warfare. It's, it's last man standing uh, kind of yeah. mentality. And I think it does start in medical schools. Um, vast majority, you know, the, 
<laughs> I, there, there's a great story that I got related to. I'm all about stories, Sean. You know, this I thing. love it. I love it. Uh, Venerable University uh, I was talking to this this young doctor about. You know, she was a resident and she was inquiring about, hey, direct care, something I learned about in medical school, but you know, residency. Um, or actually, it was even before medical school, excuse me. So back up even further. She goes, I, w I got to medical school at Vanderbilt University, prestigious university, yeah. incredibly difficult to get to. She said, I let them know that I desire to be a primary care doctor. And she goes, the faculty there laughed at me. They said, Vanderbilt University does not produce primary care physicians. And I'm they thinking, wanted... oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the start of it. Right. Yeah. And, and I really just that's the start of it. Um, like it's beneath them or something. It is. Yeah. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You know, um, it, it just blew my mind. And so here you take somebody who's incredibly intelligent, who has the empathy for a fellow human being, but yet is already getting her wrist slapped and, 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 and starting to get you know more downtrodden, more negativity at her saying, oh, no, your dreams of practicing medicine the way you wanted to. No, nope. We're not going to even entertain them. And so you could see how this snowball effect starts at yeah. in the medical school because, boom, there you go. I, I, I have this vision, and then now all of a sudden, boom, they're not going to even entertain it. And they're going to steer me into this, you know, specialties and subspecialties and surgeries, um, which we need good people there too. But going from a mental standpoint, mental standpoint, excuse me, impact, that's the start of it. And so you continue that and saying, well, I really want to care for people this way. Nope, not going to happen. Okay, why? doesn't matter why. You're not going to do it. All right. Well, what about independent medicine? Nope, independent medicine is dead. The only choice you have is to yep. sign on this dotted line. Well, why would I want to do that? Well, here's a bunch of money. Oh, okay. You get your debt forgiven. And so this, this it, I, I hope I'm painting this picture of you know, step one, step two, step five, of how we get there and, and, and right. how many steps it is. But you push that snowball down the hill and now you know someone comes out uh, the other side of residency and they're already, um, you know, mentally abused, uh, yeah. from academia and not to even mention the continued abuse from an employer that will happen. And then they're going to try to tell them that they're just burnt out and they need to go do more yoga. I think one of the reasons that, um, medical school is so expensive is well, it's partly due to the healthcare. It's part like health insurance. When somebody else pays the bill, it gets more expensive. Now, you always got to pay the piper. There's no doubt about that. But a lot of times, there's these federal programs. Um, maybe maybe they're loan programs. So at first, they're not paying anything up front. But in the end, they get out of school. And I, I hear a new number every year. It's a new record number. Um, my first, I, I almost. I almost fainted when I first heard four hundred thousand dollars in debt, and then I heard five hundred. Then I heard six hundred. Now I've heard eight fifty. Um, you know, um, that was on a Facebook group, not somebody I knew personally. But um, and then they go to so they're they're in huge debt, and even if they're making decent money, I mean, if you go out and you 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 have a house payment for forty years or thirty years, I mean that that's that's slavery. You could argue that's slavery, hmm. um, and. So they go to these institutions that pay big bucks, partly because these institutions are given federal grants to serve underserved areas and all this kind of stuff. And they use this money to recruit physicians and pay them big bucks. Um, and if you work for them for two years, you get your debt forgiven. And, and here's what I've seen in that. 
okay, the federal government is guilty of giving these loans to people, um, and then they essentially give them a placement in a federal government institution. It might not be directly federal government, but it, it there's funds tied to that. And then they indoctrinate the people on the way to take care of those people in that federal clinic, and then they have them for life. Can you comment on that? It, it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, we always say the biggest threat to our industry and our business and what we're doing from a grassroots movement is if the federal government said, hey, we're taking medical licensing away from states. And in order to be a doctor, you have to have a United States medical license, not an Indiana license, not an Oregon license, not a Texas license. You have to have a United States. And in order to get a United States license, you have to accept federal programs. Yep. This, um, you know, this seems like a way to influence that um, where people aren't really paying attention to it. And you drive up the cost of medical school, but you say, hey, you know, you might be for round numbers, let's say, you know, you're $500,000 in debt, but you go work at this FQHC, you know, the Federal Qualified Health Center. Yep. yep. Um, and those, I've seen some weird, weird um, kind of location dynamics where, you know, these FQHCs are in places you're like, this is, this is strange. This, this Down, feels downtown more... Seattle, underserved downtown Seattle. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it feels more like political favors, right? And establishing these things. <laughs> yep. Um, so, you know, you, the medical school is 500K, but if you go work for FQHC or even a nonprofit hospital, which I think is yeah. is one of the biggest enemies um, to price stability in healthcare that, that we've come up with, then, you know, $100,000, $200,000 is forgiven. Well, wait a minute. So what's the true cost of actually providing an education to physicians? And why are you incentivizing, you're really incenting um more public dollars to be spent by, by, by actually crippling private industry. And so what you see is tax-exempt organizations or federal organizations picking and picking winners and losers. And I got a big problem yeah. with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, and anytime that happens, um, prices go up, service goes down, quality goes down. You just, it, it, just look at history. You're influencing markets in a way that is, you know, non-competitive. Um, it's artificial influence, and when that happens, <laughs> you know, the people that lose when when uh, artificial influences hit markets, consumers it's the at the bottom. It's the consumers. consumers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we see that from wage hikes. You know, those get passed on. We see that from taxes, and anybody with 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 a shred of economic knowledge knows their supply and demand curves, and understands the impact that taxes and artificial mandates and artificial caps have on that. And ultimately, those things get passed down to people like you and I, and um, we're always the ones that are powerless to do anything about it. But you know, physicians get used in this sense. They get used as the intermediaries. So now you have people who are pissed off at greedy physicians, and then you have hospitals yeah. who are blaming doctors for, you know, uh, not following orders. And it, it, it's it's a tug of war. And so, you know, I, I'm I'm quick to blame a doctor for not knowing a price of a service, but I'm also very quick to show that, hey, you you are getting toyed around with, and you are just a puppet here. There's a better way of doing things. 
Absolutely. So, um, are you optimistic? Are you optimistic that that can there can be a change? Can we affect change? Absolutely, we're doing it. We're doing it, Sean. I mean, we've we've built out a completely cash pay medical system that we are putting patients through. A primary care, you know, a, a primary freedom doc calls us up, says, "Hey, I need somebody that uh, I, I need a cash price for oncology. I need a cash price for surgery. Do you have options?" We say, "Heck yes, we have options." And it, it's almost like a, a burgeoning domestic medical tourism industry, but we're able to link them with other cash pay, self pay, however you want to call it, direct pay physicians who are able to give them a price right away, even if it's just a consultation. Hey, it's 150 bucks for you know for for 30 minute oncology. Great, I understand that. I can budget for it. Um, and then if we need to escalate things beyond that, great. I'm with you. I'm, I'm by your side the entire time. So these things are happening. This isn't just a dream. This isn't just smoke and mirrors. This is actually happening and patients are flowing through the system. Um, we need more doctors to raise their hand. You know, um, whether you work work with Freedom Health Works or not, I don't, that's fine, but we're all moving in the same direction. So let's remember that um, and provide the actual level of care um, that doctors want to provide and are able to provide. Let, let's let them practice the way that they know how and not influence it and um, let's treat patients right. So it is happening. It's all just doom and gloom, downward spiral. Right. There, there, yeah. there are real success stories happening and it's impacting real lives. Um, it's just we need more people to know about it and to, I don't think trust is the right word, but um actually go through it, step through that door of saying, Hey, I like what you're hearing. I like what I'm hearing. I like what you're saying. I'm going to give it a shot. I love it, Chris. And yeah, I agree with you. And I will tell you kind of being in the middle of this revolution, um, even though it's really not new, it's just uh, over the last few years, there's been a bigger push to go to free market medicine. I will tell you, it's wonderful to be in the middle of it because when I talk to most, when I I can say all, when I talk to all physicians that are in the the, the free market medicine, they're all happy, all of them. Yeah, and nobody I wants to go say, back. No, and I can say, and and I'm I'm guilty of that too. I mean, I, I've told people this in public, and I'll, I'll I'll go on record saying this: you could not pay me enough. My wife and I will both say you could not pay us enough to go back to a traditional um, insurance based pharmacy. You could not. There's no way. You know, look at what you guys are doing. Um, you are taking healthcare and you are relocalizing it. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, Sean, but I don't think this is this is going on a limb. But the relationships that you're even able to establish, you know, with your pharmacy client, pharmacy patients, pharmacy customers, um, it's this, this reemergence of local healthcare. It's keeping dollars in the community too. And people overlook this. Some of the largest healthcare systems are multi-state organizations where you pay them, that money's gone. That's 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 sucked out of the local economy. Those systems aren't paying taxes on the, on their properties. Most of them are nonprofits. They're they're contributing very little to the local economy. Yeah. Um, yeah, they 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 employ people, but you know, property taxes going to school systems. I there, there's a there's a there's a there's a school of thought out there that a nonprofit hospital in your area, like in your town, in your city, is not good for the economic livelihood of your town or city um, based on that nonprofit status. Um, and so if we're able to say, look, I'm going to spend my money with the doctor who lives here, and then I'm going to go to my local pharmacy, 
like Moses Lake, right? And I'm going to keep my dollars there because I know what those people are, their neighbors. I see them at restaurants and, and, and soccer games. Um, the relocalization of a healthcare dollar is something that can be a massive, massive driving force. And it shouldn't be something that is overlooked, um, but it very easily is. And, and the more attention we bring to that too, I think the better off we're going to be. Well, and speaking of nonprofit hospitals, let's just call them what they are, Chris. They're tax exempt. They're not nonprofit. Um, Fair. <laughs> you know, um, I had a former hospital administrator on our podcast a few weeks back, and he he cleared that up. Yeah. And um, because, and I agree with you. Um, I've been a, I've, uh, you know, we have a public hospital in our town, and I've been a publicly elected official commissioner on that board. And I will tell you. Public, private, nonprofit, for-profit hospitals, they're pretty much all the same, and they are in collusion with insurance companies to rip off the individual patient um, in their local community, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, why, it's, it's, it's a scam and a ripoff. Well, that's why we, we let people know they have a choice. Um, you just have to exercise that choice. <laughs> exercise your American right to choose. That's <laughs> right. That's choice. right. That's all it's all about. Um and so more people understand that, again, the better off we're going to be. And the more and more that this momentum we have that we see, more and more that get, continues to grow. So, Chris, tell us as we wrap this up, tell us a little bit about um, Freedom HealthWorks and how to find it. Well, it's all about uh, what we do is, is all about enabling patients and enabling physicians uh, to practice the way medicine should be practiced, uh, according to them. Um we have a, a great little, um, uh, a, a new brand kind of, uh, I would say, called Freedom Doc. And so what we say is Freedom Health Works helps create Freedom Docs. And so patients can then go join their local Freedom Doc, uh, you know, in 20-some states that we're in right now. So um, freedomhealthworks.com for those medical professionals who are interested in finding out what their choices are and how to practice medicine freedomhealthworks.com. Uh, great resource for you. For any patients out there who are looking to join this movement and uh, choose a better way to seek medical care, uh, we have a new website called freedomdoc.care. And there you can see uh, all kinds of resources and, and why you should be joining Freedom Doc Practice, as well as resources for employers that are looking to provide um, better benefits and really redefine what it is to show employee appreciation and uh, take care of your team and keep them as healthy as possible. So uh, options for everybody. I hope people understand that, that I don't view anybody in direct care as competition. This is all some way that we can all help each other because we all want what's best um, yep. for, for the country, for patients, uh, and for each other. I, I will say that that's one thing about direct care. You know, there's a few big names out there. I guess they're all big names in my in my book. But, you know, where you can just give somebody they, – they could – they could be a primary care doctor wanting to open up a clinic right across the street from this person and you can give them that person's number and then they're just like, Hey, yeah, more the merrier. And I agree there, there can't be enough of us. Um, you know, I think the more the merrier because, um, we, we it's gotta be a grass movement, grassroots yep. movement from the, from the bottom up. Yep. And we always say, look, if, if, if you want to follow the freedom health works playbook, let's do it. If you want to go out and do it yourself, go for it. Um, just be weary of people out there that say that, Hey, it's either my way or the highway or, Try to steer you to work with somebody and, and, and not somebody else. Um, somebody <laughs> or, starts throwing yeah. stones, and that's that's the only time you need to be wary. Um, <laughs> or, everybody else or, needs to work together. Or when they want you to put a big chunk of 
chunk of change up front and it's going to cost a bunch of money because um, in reality, as you know, Chris, because you help doctors with this all the time, it doesn't cost a lot of money to go into independent practice by yourself if you're primary care. It doesn't cost much at all. And if you're smart about it. Um, if you, yeah, yeah, right. And that's and that's one of the one of the, the biggest pieces of value that we're able to bring is is we're going to help you prevent mistakes, um, very expensive mistakes that could sink your practice. And and I think that's one of the biggest challenges and biggest um, uh, you know kind of kind of the risks of doctors going out and you know, getting advice online or from people who mm-hmm. might have done it in a way that worked for them, which is great. Um, but then if they take that advice, you know, free advice is sometimes useful, um, but usually get what you pay for in life. And so if those physicians are unsuccessful and they go out and say, hey, I tried this and I tried to do it this way and, and the model just didn't work, it's not viable, that's going to have a ripple effect. And um, that's one thing we can't afford to do is uh, is lose any anybody right. who started their practice. Uh, we can't afford any failures. And so right now we have 100% success rate. None of our clients have ever closed down. Um, and we're going to awesome. keep it that way. Thank you, Sean. Uh, thank you, Chris. And as always, it's been a pleasure. The viewers, listeners, thank you for tuning in today. We really appreciate it. Uh, Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thanks for listening.